Flight of the Concords is now on Stitcher Premium. Yeah, Brett, Jemaine, they're right there. Hear all six episodes of the original BBC radio series that inspired their hit HBO show. It's exclusively available on Stitcher Premium in the U.S., and it's a must-listen if you like one of the best shows ever. Start listening to that now with a one-month free trial of Stitcher Premium. You can go to stitcherpremium.com BBC and use promo code CRACKED at checkout to get a free month of Brett and Jemaine. Remember that's stitcherpremium.com slash BBC and promo code CRACKED. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also convinced that America founded a new art form in the 1970s. Yeah, the 70s. It wasn't disco. It wasn't very, very big lapels. I'm talking about the art form of role-playing games, also known as RPGs. And this episode is about the most cutting-edge, surprising, and awesome ways role-playing games are being played right now. We're going to go from the studios of Hollywood to the prisons of Colorado to the fantasy realm of rural Maine in search of the most incredible things a role-playing game can be. And don't worry, you don't need to be an RPG player or RPG fan or... I don't know what you think of RPG players, but like Geekazoid might be a trope you have. Don't worry. You can enjoy this episode no matter how much or little you've played something like Dungeons and Dragons. This episode is geared toward everybody, and I think we can do that. We can talk about RPGs with everybody because RPGs are all over mainstream culture now. They're in Stranger Things, Twitch streams, Harmontown, Harmon Quest, Comic Cons, Comic Shops, LARPing, network TV shows like The Big Bang Theory. You know something's a cultural touchstone if it passes the parents' test, you know, as in your parents have heard of it, and RPGs pass the parents' test, because your parents almost definitely know what Dungeons & Dragons is, whether they've heard about it in general or seen it in the movie E.T., which is amazing because Dungeons & Dragons, D&D, the first smash hit RPG, came out in 1974. We're only about 40 years into lots of people playing role-playing games, into there being a whole culture built around them. And the incredible variety of things RPGs have become in that short time period is what we are talking about today. And by we, I mean a slew of guests from across the wide world of role-playing games. First off, Michael Swaim and I are sitting down with Spencer Crittenden. Spencer is the Dungeon Master on the podcast Harmontown. He's the writer and host and god figure of the TV show Harmon Quest, and he's someone unique. He is somebody who has made role-playing games exponentially more popular by bringing them to a mass audience. There's a generation of improv comedians who discovered improv by watching Whose Line Is It Anyway. There's a generation of stand-up comedians who discovered stand-up by watching Comedy Central half-hours on weekend afternoons. And I am confident that there's a generation of role-playing gamers who discovered RPGs through Dan Harmon, most famous for Rick and Morty and Community, and through Spencer Crittenden. So it was a real treat to get to talk to Spencer about what goes into that phenomenon, about how he makes RPGs into a hit comedy show. After that, I'll talk to Elizabeth DeClear. Elizabeth is a journalist and documentarian who's revealed the world of fantasy role-playing in American prisons. 
Yeah, there are jails where RPGs are uniting inmates, scaring certain wardens, and rebuilding people's lives. And after that, we'll talk with Jeffrey Golden and Lee Keeler. They are comedy writers who raised 15 grand on Kickstarter to make a Wet Hot American Summer role-playing game. An RPG set in a semi-ironic summer camp comedy. I don't know if you've seen Wet Hot American Summer, but that's what it is. We'll talk about the very, very short history of RPGs based on straight-up comedy worlds and find out how Jeffrey and Lee built an RPG where your character can be a talking can of vegetables. Spoiler, it is surprisingly dramatic. Really gripping. Anyway, we got a lot of great show for you. Let's get to it. Please sit back or sit like your half-orc paladin character would sit because that guy sits like a boss. Anyway, enjoy this quest through the world of role-playing games in our world today. I'll be back with you on my own again afterwards. Talk to you then. I'm joined in the studio by Michael Swain from Cracked. That's here! Yeah! And our Vonnegut show and everything else. And we're also very excited to be joined by, from Harmon Town, Harmon Quest, Great Minds, so many other things, Spencer Crittenden. Hey, guys. How's hey. it going? Welcome. It's going great. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Yeah. And also, I don't know if anyone has thanked you personally or anything, but thank you for writing an article for Cracked at one point oh, yeah. about being a dungeon master. No problem. It was great. I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity. I, uh, I appreciate writing stuff. I wrote a Game Facts guide one time, and now I've wrote a Cracked article. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we got to know which game. Uh, it was like a Mega Man RPG game. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm a Game yeah. Facts user, much yeah. to my shame, so I feel like maybe, I, maybe I've gone through that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like Game Facts and Cracked are kind of the egot of the internet. Like You want to get both of those <laughs> yeah. as soon as possible. Right. If you can get something up on IGN, that's like you got the grand slam. Right. It's like the, the, they're eternal internet resources. Yeah. yeah. Nerds say grand slam, right? We use that as a metaphor. Most, <laughs> yeah. Mostly. Mostly, yeah. yeah. Mainly sports stuff. This yeah. will devolve into baseball terminology so dense <laughs> You won't know what we're talking about. Yeah. If I can squeeze play a can of corn real quick. It's a good segue, actually, because I will say D&D and no, baseball, it's it's it totally is. Okay. Dungeons and Dragons is about an obsession with a large table of stats, and I find baseball at high levels is also that. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I found it, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for making it work. <laughs> that stuff's um, nerdy too. Like even like bodybuilding and stuff, like the jockiest thing you can think of is like really nerdy and they're like, Oh, how much chicken should I be eating? And like they write it down in like journals and stuff. It's like <laughs> that's nerdy also. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just like right, it's exactly it's all kind of relative in a way, but it's like, yeah. come on, it's all we're all just like obsessed with stuff. It's just passion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We all like stuff yeah <laughs> right we like going in depth about a thing right yeah science <laughs> very excited to talk to you about Harmon quest in general on Harmon town you guys have the the segment of the show where it's a quest and then also the whole show Harmon quest where not only is it a quest that i can dip into as a spectator but also it's a movable feast like i can just consume it whenever i want to like whenever it's time whenever i'm free well, that's what a movable yeah. feast means I oh never knew yeah that. yeah it's okay. technically a holiday thing i also call a it church a, thing, a now but, and yeah. later but yeah <laughs> right a movable feast is when it's like it's on a day that changes right also 
Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, it like shifts around. Here's like our pointer. It's yeah. the Twix of D&D experience. No, I mean. Because it's also a show. I love it. I agree. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard. I mean, I can't. Ever since I knew that podcasts were a thing, like in no, not knowing that comedy was a thing even really, in high school and stuff, I was like, it would be so cool to have a D&D podcast. It would yep. just be yeah. like, that's what everyone should do. It would be so cool. It's like, yeah, you're seeing ninjas and flipping around and goblins and it's great. Yeah. And so like, I just had that idea for like so long in my head and I think very early among podcasts were D&D kind of live play um, recordings, I think, were among the really early days of streaming. Like, you know, oh, well good. before yeah. people really used uh, podcasters. Yeah, Brian Posehn's Nerd Poker is like many years oh, deep sure. at this point. Yeah, Right, yeah. yeah. And Our I, show, too. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, well, I remember one of the earliest things that became, like, viral. And I know Rob Schraub was involved because it was a Dead Alewives yeah, thing. Yeah, Dead Alewives. D&D sketch. Dan was in that, too. Yeah, that yeah. was huge. Schraub was the yeah. Where's the Mountain Dew guy. Exactly. Shra- yeah. If you're listening to this, <laughs> Rob Schraub was the Where's the Mountain Dew guy. You probably don't know who Rob Schraub is. Well, it doesn't matter then. Well, oh, I hope people do. Channel Our 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, yeah. Great. Well, I think he also is the guy that says if there's – uh, if there's winches there, yeah. I want to do them. <laughs> yeah. It's so amazing. It's so crazy that, like, that was one of the first real nerd things. I moved into, uh, like, a suburb outside of L.A. when I was, like, in second grade, and my next-door neighbor had these, like, dragon playing card games that was like i don't know i play magic the gathering but like before it was like wyvern or something (laughs) yeah or um and so that was like i played wyvern and then i played like star wars role playing with him and then the other thing was uh (laughs) whatever the first thing we were talking about the dead alewife thing on the dr demento cd was like one of the first crazy nerd comedy experiences i've ever like seen and it was like it was mind-blowing and it's just crazy that that was actually dan Harmon and ron it is, yeah. <laughs> Who, like, I just, like, blasted into way later. Exactly. Yeah. That's did crazy. you, I got to ask real quick, at your school, did Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards come and just, like, destroy the potential to have magic play? Um, Pokemon did to a large extent. Yu-Gi-Oh, I don't think, swept as hard. Okay. What you could do with a Yu-Gi-Oh deck is you could cut their deck in half, and then you could take half their deck and play it with them. And, like, any uh, magic player could beat someone with half of another player's deck of a Yu-Gi-Oh player, like, hands down, I found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just this, I don't know, it's you know, like no offense to anyone, chess, I guess. Though, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three-dimensional chess, exactly. man. Exactly. Speaking of selecting games, I just, in a, in a basic way, I'm curious, you guys on Harmon Quest use Pathfinder as the system, is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We started doing just 3.5 because I know 3.5 a bit better than Pathfinder. And for the uninitiated, can we give a little recap of what Pathfinder is? Because if I remember right, Pathfinder, it's an adaptation of or an expansion on either 3.0 or 3.5 of D&D. Yeah. They modified it from there and made their own thing. That's the underlying rules structure of the game. Oh, So when we say like 3, 3.5 or Pathfinder, we're arguing about like what's the version of the house rules you like to play by because they've evolved. (laughs) They're different rules, (laughs) very, very slightly. Yes. Yeah. And also to make any game happen, like that's, you know, the operating system of it. But then it's the dungeon master writing. Like, like Spencer, you wrote a whole TV season and are writing another one to to make season two, which is amazing. 
I, I'm just curious, like how people work. And on the show, I see you working out of a journal. Like, are you working all longhand for the whole creation of the story? No, that's like a complicated prop that I construct. Oh no! <laughs> sure. Well, it's, it's useful to do that. <laughs> I, I destroyed the curtain. I'm no, so sorry. No, it's important. I, 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 I'll show it around. I wish I brought it with me. But um, <laughs> no, so I write the whole thing. And then once it's all written to satisfaction, I type it all up on the computer and then I size it way down and cut it into little book-sized pages and I tape it into the pages of this little journal that we use. Wow, And then in adjoining pages, I draw the maps on the, just the pages of the book. And then I also have like little post-it notes and inserts that have monster stat blocks and stuff like that in various pages. So you can kind of flip between the narrative and then the monster blocks. And then you can usually flip between the map and the monster blocks. And so you're never too far away from the relevant information. And I put all their player stats Stats in the opening cover of the page, so you can always flip to the front cover and find all of the player stats. So I don't need to ask them all these questions about most of their roles. Amazing! You're yeah. so ready because I think yeah. what all DMs out there know that, like, quickly you realize one of your main challenges is how quickly can you keep the game going and recall every like rule that has to come into play immediately because people don't yeah. want you to be flipping and flipping and finding. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, and more than that, it's just the arguing can be really just, it's like people will argue about it and it's like, why, why are you arguing? It's like, I'll just look it up. I wonder, uh, do you find yourself writing this story differently or pacing the chunks differently given that you went into this campaign knowing it has to be a show for an audience? Yeah. For Harmontown, the podcast, that was one of the biggest challenges in general was adapting what is essentially a four-hour format or so <laughs> to a 10-minute, five-minute format. <laughs> right. And so in some ways, it was kind of good to be able to do Harm Quest because it kind of expanded from what Harmontown was. Sure. But at the same time, it was the same problems because we would record for an hour per episode then we'd cut each hour down to about 22 minutes 24 minutes in some ways you had to think sensitively so that it couldn't be a complex block plot that really takes up all of that one hour but at the same time it couldn't just be nothing you have to give people to go <laughs> off of so they give you stuff that's worth putting in the show yeah. the first season it was way worse so, I mean it ends up being good stuff but for the second season I tried to make everything way less and then I had basically one encounter and then the encounter was basically collapsible completely that I wow. could basically lose oh. it and it ends up being just them being bad at D&D and being like <laughs> crazy and ridiculous like there's there's a part where um they save Patton Oswalt, and he wants to give them tea, and then they're like, this guy's trying to poison us for saving them. And, 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 like, the fallout from that's just funny, and it's like, why is it, there's no reason for any of this to be happening. <laughs> and why'd you even think that? Yeah. yeah. It's just like, so that ends up being the middle beat a lot of times, is just the natural kind of hilarity that ensues, quote-unquote, and then the fir- the end, beginning and ending kind of set the, the plot direction, yeah. if you will. That's and so, cool. yeah, it ends up being a lot more narrative than I'd say normal D&D is, but that's kind of a combination of time and their natural meandering tendencies. Well, yeah, because yeah. it's almost that blend. It is. It feels like you're also getting some of your favorite comedians and celebrities just having a funny conversation. Like, I think that's a common experience. It's just yeah. kind of like being in and out and making stupid jokes that don't make any sense in context. I feel like fans of the site need to know, and I'll keep it brief, that in a campaign we played when we were uh, in college, Abe Epperson, one of our lead <laughs> film directors here, gained the ability to meld into shadows 
and immediately, exclusively only, vanished and masturbated in every battle. <laughs> like, his goal was to, f- like, if the battle went too quickly before he could finish, he failed. Yeah. I had a, I, I remember a campaign where people would just use uh, Arcane Hand, the magic spell, to sell hand jobs. The stranger of the, oh, the, yeah. the Arcane Stranger. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that, and because season, season one, there was directly, it was a, a kobold gets a hand job mm-hmm. from Dan, yeah. is that right? Yeah. yeah. And if people listen, at home don't know the questing group is usually Dan Harmon, Aaron McGaffey, Jeff B. Davis, and then special guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned like the quest kind of going in the direction that the players you've got, what goes into writing for that group uh, specifically? The guests or the cast? Oh, well, I guess actually, because with the guests, I'm super curious. I wonder more about the uh, guests because right. some of them have never even played sometimes, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also you're writing kind of a throwaway, not a throwaway part for them, but a part that will wrap out that that episode, right? Like <laughs> yeah, they need to enter the quest and lead the quest for mm-hmm. sure. There's a bit of disbelief that you need to spend mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> but um, yeah. But like writing for the main cast in particular, like I think he said in the article that Aaron goes toward like social scenes right. quite a bit. Yeah. So like Aaron is actually been able to pick up a lot of slack and roll with a lot of stuff, but Jeff kind of needs props and needs combat to really flourish or problems to solve. Yeah. He's always like unlocking doors or like in the in the first season, he like soaped down a, a ship to try and repel invaders. <laughs> yep. And it's just like, you know, anything that he can kind of play off of in a weird comedic way. Um, in, in the new season, he'll have like a, he, he'll try and do a stunt with like a GoPro camera. <laughs> um, so it's and just- And an like, arcane Bro- GoPro camera. Wait, like, like okay. Jeff in the room or his character in the quest? His character oh, in the perfect. quest. Oh, perfect. Like it's, it's mostly just keeping it simple, I think. They seem to want direction. A lot of times D&D players don't want direction and they, they buck against uh, railroading. So I was initially very sensitive to that and mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. But then uh, on the podcast and stuff, they would say things like, well, what are we supposed to do? Yep, yep. <laughs> just like, well, you're people living a life. Like, yeah. what would people living a life do when they were asking what they're yeah. supposed to do? You know, like that's I, I I'm trying to give you the freedom, and so like it became, especially for Harmon Quest, it became more like let's set up what we're trying to do that there's a goal whether or not the goal actually gets realized or anything doesn't really matter it can fall apart halfway through it can be a misdirect or whatever but it's like whatever gives them a direction to make them do something is like what I've tried to go for and and use because then when things start rolling it's like there's conflicts there's problems there's puzzles there's jokes and stuff and then you're towards the end and you know I don't know and it's just trying to make good moments and get your story kind of piped through and hope that it comes together in the editing because when you're talking about one hour getting cut down to 22 minutes you're losing most of your show (laughs) and so it really comes to thinking about like what what moments are we able of showcasing and putting together in a cohesive way and what really you know builds the kind of story we're kind of telling without seeming like artificial and stuff damn yeah. that makes me want to go to the live tapings even more oh knowing, yeah knowing oh, knowing it's yeah, a full hour it's that such a fun, yeah. it's it's a true tragedy i would love nothing more than to release <laughs> to just, just the, out. Yeah. just the audio or the just the straight on not really heavily like edited shot or whatever, yeah master yeah. shot footage yeah. of that because it is it's a different it's a lot more like our podcast it's a lot different than you know, quote unquote, broadcast internet television or whatever, you know, but it's still, that's still something that I'd want to see. And I think a lot of people do want to see, and I hope that we can get it 
somehow, but who knows? That is amazing knowing that you're writing for so many things, but also for that level of cutting. Like I know a lot of, I don't know if they've changed it, but uh, before when Comedy Central did half hours with stand-ups, they would have them tape a lot more stand-up than half an hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes even multiple nights and stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so then the comics, I've read interviews with people where they're like, yeah, they kept X and Y from my set and they dropped Z and Z was my best thing and I just could do nothing. I just watched (laughs) it happen on TV when it came out. Yeah, Yeah. just a letter. It wasn't that funny. Z, I don't get it. <laughs> um, and, but it's like amazing. It's like you're also directing an improv show, essentially. I mean, you're curating yeah. the prompts for comedy. So, right. as you said, like you get to know what Jeff's comedic styling is like. It's just amazing how many things you're balancing. It's a very unique show and task. Yeah. I don't think anyone else in the world has that challenge. Like, there's no, you right. have the only job that is that job. Like I was saying, I've been lo- very interested in the idea of D&D related podcasting and content for ages just because I think it is very promising. But yeah. to my horror, I've found myself not liking 90% of the oh, D&D boy. related content. Well. I think that streaming games and stuff is a really popular thing all over the board, both traditional games and video games. But yeah. that's really popular, but I haven't really gotten into it. I, You know, it seems cool and helpful for the people that want want to be using it and stuff but it's just not for me you know podcasts aren't short they could be two hours long right. like harmontown but sure. they're they're a bit more passive so you can work them into your schedule and the D at least is pretty short and i think that lets us be more crazy and less less committed to making just D kind of happen and mm-hmm. that makes it able to be more entertaining and you know when it's not your group of friends that you know and stuff it's it can be harder to access i feel like with most dming you're trying to guide the quest toward what will be the most fun and the most exciting for just the players and then uh, harman town and harman quest it's live and you've got or at least especially Mm -hmm. harman town and then harman quest there's an audience but are you guiding what's happening at all towards the audience reaction too? you know, or is it still very, very character? Um, I mean, I think about it in terms of like audience, just their reaction to certain things. Like in this season, we make a reference to something that was in the Harmon town movie. And so it's like, that's, that's kind of like, uh, I don't know about fan service, but it's like a head nod and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but not just that, but there's like the idea of certain puzzles and just situations that happen. Like they have a kind of contest, like a, a, a challenge, the devil oh, to the, like a Faustian a, kind of thing, like a, a fiddling a, contest, fiddle contest. Oh, a fiddle contest. more Got Futurama it. than yeah, that, <laughs> that kind of trope. The playwright, Charlie Daniels. I believe. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it could be a really satisfying D and D like it adventure for a straight lace campaign but at the same time it's also kind of like a cartoony trope and so i think like balancing the kind of like high fantasy cartoony kind of fun comical tropes of it with like some sort of semi-compelling story or narrative is like that's that's where i like to do it that's also how i like doing D anyway it's like i usually start with like a high concept like here's this crazy <laughs> floating magnet uh, <laughs> island made out wow. of crazy crystals and there's crystals <laughs> spiders that block it and i don't know and then i kind of go outwards from there and then that might give me a narrative or it might give me an adventure seat or whatever but it's kind of that postcard kind of version of a concept that gets me going and mm-hmm. so that's kind cool. of how I started I just wanted to get every episode I wanted to be like a different kind of concept of like a of, of a of a adventuring locale more or less that was the initial mm-hmm. goal for season one I don't know if I'm 
thinking too uh, aesthetically about it, but I feel like you guys have found a perfect, like, comedic live show driven approach to role playing. Because, like you say, right. it is, uh, especially Harmon Quest, it's so built around there are the rune stones, there's the manticore, that's where we're going toward every episode. And so, since there's such propulsion toward that one single goal, then when people digress or goof around or, or Jeff does sneak attacks, like, it, you have room for that within it because you're always still right. going straight to the next thing. Yeah. And also, I think I've just adapted to having to drag them across plot points, <laughs> which, uh, which is very much railroading, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, we got a television show. That's the yeah. hardest thing about it is like balancing the kind of quote unquote network concerns of everything. It's like, I've never had to write a D and D campaign that had to pass a network approval Get call. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because we're making television, but right. at the same time, it's very strange and very unique and not n- normal. Um, yeah, and like, so uh, this cobalt reflects poorly on the brand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Masturbate a different character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the, the Manticore plot of the first season was an attempt to make a more singular kind of resonant storyline yeah. um, that that would kind of pass muster. In season two, like initially, we took some varying paths or I, I had some different ideas. The network kind of helped me refine it. And I think I was, it, it's definitely like good where we're at, but it was a bit more, I'd say like low stakes and not tuned for television before. Mm. I was just like, yeah, there's these guys and then they fuse together and then they, then, then the world changes or, <laughs> You know, and it's just like, it would be a cool (laughs) thing if that was the focus of like a campaign over the course of a month or whatever and you can kind of get into the the nature of the world and why stuff like this is happening but in terms of being like a resonant like this happens then this happens and there's a problem and then they're trying to solve the problem and then they solve the problem kind of structure yeah. like it's just not it's I don't know stuff like that is not something you think about normally and it's it, it becomes it it makes it feel more commercialized I'd say in an extent but at the same time it, it helps it be accessible it keeps it, it moving otherwise yeah. and like you say yeah. like it's so I think smart you're like yes yeah, so a character like the devil everyone in the audience and at the board knows tropes about the devil right. can play off the devil yeah. you don't have to explain like yeah. okay there's this, there's seven mages and they each have a different like zone of influence this guy is the lieutenant to the first name like right. look at this world building I did you guys it's right. really good in yeah. Game of Thrones you could do stuff like that yeah. over the course of you know several seasons or something <laughs> right. but you know like also like live action and costume designers that have style guides that are printed out mm-hmm. and stuff but yeah it's harder for us to kind of do stuff like that it's just a matter of kind of focusing on what we can do. And you mentioned uh, style and character design things. What goes into animating an episode and working with the animators? The first thing that happens is we cut it down. So we we determine the shape and the stories that way. And once we cut it down and we hand it off to our storyboard team, we watch it and I give notes on it in the room just so we're kind of on the same page on certain scenes. But generally they watch it and get their own ideas. And then they board the whole episode and then we give notes on that until it gets good enough to send to the animation house that we kind of outsource to. And they're in Canada. It's uh, Bardell. Bardell this season. And so then they do uh, animation and they send us back string outs, which are just basically random bits of animation as it gets done by the animators. And we give a lot of notes on those. And the network is giving notes all throughout this whole process, just about every step of this way. The sure. network gives right. notes. And CISO is actually really great to work with. When we were like, we don't like this note, they were like, fine. 
<laughs> so nice. oh, yeah, so it's like it's, yeah, yeah, we did you know we did ninety nine percent of their notes, but when there's stuff we really felt strongly against and we felt we had an explanation for why we disagree with it, we were. They were very accommodating in that sense, which was a dream. Excellent, yeah. And it makes me yeah. wonder how much people just don't push back against network notes. Where they just bitch to all their friends, but they never asked if it's okay yeah. if they don't do it. I mean, I would certainly <laughs> do that too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm not like blaming everyone, yeah. but I'm just like, I wonder if like they're just like, if that's how it goes down. Well, I also feel like once you take enough notes, then if you push back against one, they're like, oh, they're not just being nuts. They like actually they have a reason to. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Broadcast standards are a crazy thing. I was, you know, I was Dan's assistant on community and stuff. And so we'd get mm. the the, yeah. the FCC notes and they're like, is this a real person? Have you made sure this isn't a real person? Like, is there, that's a big thing. It's like, if you're like, I'm Roy Johnson from Colorado, they're like, if there's a Roy Johnson from Colorado, we're going to get so sued. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff like that. But um, for our show, we really didn't have anything. That's why we had kobold hand jobs and stuff. Yeah, we, nice. I don't think we were super great. Like, I don't think we showed anyone's dick or anything. But um, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I know a we very litigious manticore who's not <laughs> pleased about their portrayal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys are screwed. <laughs> yeah, man. You said in the article and also talked about today that uh, there's a lot of prep going into storyline creation. Like you right. build and build and build out to have preparation for everything. What do you do when the quest still overruns that preparation. What do you do when what you've written doesn't cover where you are now, kind of no matter how much prep you've done? One of the cool things about the format and probably something that has maybe crippled me in terms of real, you know, dungeon mastering or whatever is the short time makes it so you can scurry away at a certain point and figure it out. So like when we're playing on Harmontown, it's like if they blow up the boat or they explode the town or they light the whole bag city on fire, (laughs) um, then it's like cliffhanger and then I I have the next week to think about what's going to happen and on Harmon Quest we've just had the luck for everything to just be right on the rails so to speak it's just I mean like I said they don't really go very fast but it's been serviceable. They've hit all the big plot beats and all the all the character stuff that's important for the guests to do. That yeah. always gets done um, some way or another. Um, it's not always quite perfect, but that's usually because the gang is dragging their feet a bit, and so we can't get too much time. So, like, in the first episode of the second season, there's supposed to be, like, this whole scene. Gillian Jacobs was in the first episode, and there's supposed to be this whole scene where, like, at the end, um, she feels betrayed by the gang's, like, selfishness and stuff, and she feels like she's being replaced, and um, so she's supposed to go crazy and either kill herself or attack them, but either way, it's like this is supposed to be this big dramatic scene, and I, you know, I told Gillian that was the point, and so, like, I'm sure she was gearing up for it, and, um there was just no time for that at all (laughs) than when we had to just end, which ended up being kind of abrupt because like we were over time and you can shoot for a certain amount of time and we could shoot for like a little over an hour, but we were like well over that. And when you get over an hour, it's like, when are the cameras going to stop filming (laughs) in the middle of someone talking? And so it gets really stressful. It's just like, uh, everyone dies. (laughs) Uh, What will happen next episode? It's when the platinum dragon has to make an appearance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just call the herd. There's a lot of encounters that just fall out, and that's like stuff that happens as a result of that. And so sure. Gillian just I, I'm sure she was ready to do this whole explosion Monologue, of like funness yeah. or like whatever, but she just she just it ended. 
damn. Gillian's so good, you guys. Awesome. It's I so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so far, you haven't had that moment ever where you're in an episode and you're like, I got to wing the rest of this. Like, right. it's never too little material. No. You're always cramming it in. It's yeah. always, it, it's just, mostly it's just like, can I can I push something up? Can I, mm-hmm. and, and usually I make it segmented, like, in a beginning, middle, and end so that you can kind of do that. So, like, if they oh. would walk through a door, through a pathway, I just make it go into the very last one instead of the middle rooms. That's genius. I would never think of that on the fly. Yeah. You like, yeah. they enter one door and you're like, skip yeah. this part of the map. You're here now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. That's the thing is it's very important to understand what exists in the real world, what exists in your plans and what exists in the heads of the players. Like, because people think that certain things are important that aren't important. And sometimes you, that can be to your detriment. And sometimes that could be to your advantage. A lot of times you'll be, they'll be searching a room like, and you'll say there's a cabinet and then they'll be like, there's a cabinet. And then they go, they, uh, there's a kitchen knife in the cabinet and they're like what's on the kitchen knife and it's like yeah. uh, it's it's it looks nice and it's like who has a nice kitchen knife and you're like I really yeah. wasn't trying to lead yeah. you down this path I mean <laughs> yeah. guys yeah exactly but then 45 minutes like we wouldn't just put a cabinet there you're like what the fuck wouldn't I right, right. there's cabinets <laughs> but then you can you can lean into that and use it to your advantage because then you can like if there's just a bad guy that they're supposed to think was bad then you can be like you see a guy and he's wearing a, a cooking apron and then they'll be like holy shit you know and they'll think that they're geniuses and they'll think that you're a genius and it'll just be completely made up and not in your plans at all. But you can roll with it and you can roll it into your plans relatively easy a lot of times if you just kind of keep an open mind. We've had Paul Shear on Harmontown and he's also taken us on tangents. I think he took us on a tangent to like get a bunch of bootleg MP3s or something in Shadowrun. But usually it's like they have great ideas. They're improv people. So it's like, yeah, this is fine. And then luckily it just kind of rolls. We never had a moment where it's like, I've been like, you know, uh, cut, uh, we should, uh, we should really, uh, do something, you know, and then start, like you just go the whole, we've just gone the whole way through and it's kind of just been really organic that way, which is nice. You mentioned they're improv people and they can, they can roll with it. Like I noticed there's improv people. There's also stand up people. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's any particular kind of comedy that is the best training for role playing? I don't know. I think that not improv or comedians but just people who are just kind of like actors slash personalities might be the most quote-unquote charming and kind of like fun to have on our show but really Mm -hmm. i think a big thing is that everyone's different and everyone's different styles and backgrounds kind of make it a different experience which i think is really cool because that's one of the cool facets of D D. you know every group of players is different and so every game's going to be different and they might not there's similarities but they might not all resemble each other and it's not all right or wrong. Like in the D&D books, it'll tell you stuff like that. It's like, here's a power gamer player. They like swords and magic. (laughs) And it'll it'll break all this stuff down because it's very real to these experiences. And I think that that's part of it too. It's like, you know, if you have Gillian Jacobs on, it's going to be different than if you have Aubrey Plaza on. And it's great to have both of them. And it might be bad if we had 10 Aubrey Plazas, but you don't. You know, you have an Aubrey Plaza and you have, uh, you know, Matt Gorley. And it's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so everyone being different and also just being funny in their own different ways and having different ideas of how to do stuff. I think that kind of teaches people that there's a lot of ways to play D&D the right way. And I think yeah. that's a really cool thing about our show that it really shows that there's not just one way to play it and you can have fun and, and still do good 
cool stuff. It jumps out to me watching the show that there are people who are kind of just in their space giving their statements of what will happen. And then you see somebody like Matt Gorley who is directly acting with Dan Harmon. Like he's realizing he's his son and he looks at him and he has a moment and it registers on his face. Well, there's a wide swing between who likes to role play and who doesn't, I think, as anyone who's played D&D is aware. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I'm I'm just personally curious because I'm realizing like you're famously a dungeon master, and right. I don't know what you're like as a player. Right. Like, if someone else is DMing, and like just basic questions, like what kind of characters do yeah. you like to be? What do you do? I, I play mostly sorcerers <laughs> and stuff, um, yeah. mostly magic users because I love magic, and magic's the best. And also, there's just <laughs> a lot of different things you can do with magic. So I like that. Um, usually I just play pretty cautiously and I don't know, I take a lot of utility spells and, and trying to use webs and we use a lot of oil and fire yes. and stuff like that. I don't resourceful. think there's nothing more satisfying than using a cantrip utility spell in an, in a unique way. <laughs> oh, yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. five pound lift and sh- that's the best <laughs> shit because you're challenging yourself to think outside the box with yeah. all your strategies all the time. Right, it's exactly. Great, yeah. Especially because you have this toolbox of spells that a lot of other character classes don't really get access to and you really can go a long way if you, if you think about it right. So, <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of my play style. I got to yeah. ask, since you're mentioning going from DM to player, you also just revealed a little earlier that at times you were personal assistant to Dan Harmon, right? Yeah, on Community? Yeah. 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 Were you ever, as someone who's been a good friend of his and also been the DM, who's like the god of the world, mm-hmm. were you ever just like, this is not your assistant talking, this is your DM talking? <laughs> like, I feel like that would be, you'd want to pull rank. You can, you know, in yeah. your normal context, you can make him do anything. Well, <laughs> well I mean, on the show and stuff, that's, that's kind of a crutch for me. I think I think that was why I found it so easy. I'm not like a performer or anything by any nature, but I have been a DM for a lot of times. And a lot of times a DM's like, come on, man, just knock it off. Yeah, yeah. And so it is it has to like be the sanest head in the room. Yeah, it is this yeah. authority kind of, and not just not being up your own ass about it. It's like, it's kind of like a referee. It's like a referee is a good referee. Isn't like, ah, I'm the ref. They're just like, I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing my job and it's in, yeah. you know, you got to keep up. Yeah, and yeah. that is kind of a hard thing to kind of bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Well, I like how the intro of the show as they're explaining it, posits you as God at one point and also right. posits you as like a floating head, like the get swifty heads mm-hmm. of Rick yeah. and Morty. And like, sometimes it's the sun. Like I like, I like how, the animation in particular brings out you as that status in the world of it. Yeah, I think that's something that Dan ran with for a long time is just that I'm like a god or something. <laughs> I think it plays into my kind of stoic kind of um, personality. Oh, sorry, I lost. I completely lost my train of thought. But what I was saying is that being used to being that authority on D&D, I could do that on Harmontown when I was just getting my start and not good at being funny. And so then people would like that and then that kind of adapted into me being like sarcastic and sardonic and this kind of like curmudgeonly guy Mm -hmm. and so that became kind of my comedic role because you know Dan's a curmudgeon but he's also kind of like idealistic or romantic kind of and then Jeff's kind of like his straight man but Jeff's also kind of improv and crazy so like I couldn't just be a straight straight man but at the same time I am kind of like a straight man to them I was able to use my comfort with being a 
DM yeah. as a shield for like not having comfort with performing in any sense. And <laughs> that I think was really lucky for me. That's part of why I've been able to like transition so successfully or, you know, quote unquote yeah. is just because like, Don't I feel like unquote. we'll take for those real. air quotes out yeah. of the air. Thank yeah. you we'll so much. <laughs> yeah. He really did by the way. <laughs> um, but it's like just this nice learning curve that I think has enabled me to like be this guy who's like shit talking Dan Harmon on stage. And it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. his show. And I'm like talking shit. <laughs> about him and I'm just like over here and I'm his and we assistant love it. but at the same time I think I am very subservient to them because I am eager to please <laughs> well that's an interesting role the DM has right like right. you're God but you're not really because you spent all this time writing this thing and what you really hope is I hope my friends like it right like, they're really your client it's like a polytheistic God and like you're <laughs> hanging out with the other gods who are also your friends yeah, so, yeah. or an American gods. like you need their belief in the story yeah, or you're right. fucked so Spencer uh Town season two coming very soon. People can find it on CISO. Oh yeah, so then, soon. I yeah. um, they can find it, but maybe well, they will be able to. <laughs> It'll be great. There's a lot of stuff that you can and can't talk about. I can say or I can't say that it is coming out. I'm so excited. It's it's really good. I'm working on it every day. I really can't say the specifics, of but course, I need to say the generals. Otherwise, <laughs> people will be really confused. Yeah. And yes. they will be anyway. But also follow me on Twitter, at The Sixler. If the show yeah. comes out, I'll tweet about it. T-H-E-S-I-X-L-E-R, as in one who sixles. And then, of course, they can hear you on Harmontown and also Harmontown. see it live at uh, your guy's new castle, yeah. which I've been to once, oh. and it, it really is castle-shaped. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> space. Uh, yeah, the castle, we need, if you like any shows on our lineup, go there. We want we want people to see that the castle's a cool place for fun people. Check out Esports People that's going to come out on some YouTube channel pretty soon. Dan's making that. Um, Rick Esports and Morty's people. coming out. I, it's not called Esports People. It's called Good Game, actually. It might have been Good called Esports People. Good, Good Game. Game. Good Game. Good Game. Oh. Good the game. best name. Yeah. Yeah, Rick and Morty's coming out. I, I don't know if I'm on the credits for that, but it's definitely going to be good. Uh, yeah, so I'm oh, semi-involved with Rick and Morty. Thanks so much, Spencer. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. This yeah. was a lot of fun. It was. Thanks. Support for today's show comes from Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. It's a service that you might not be surprised to learn I like. Myself and Michael Swaim, who's also on this episode, do an entire show about Kurt Vonnegut, and he's a fantastic author, and all, all his audiobooks are on there. I also do a lot of stuff at Cracked about history. I do a YouTube show for us called Hilarious Helmet History. And audiobooks are actually one of my favorite ways to read nonfiction in particular. Uh, if I can recommend one, there's a book called The Path Between the Seas by David McCullough. And there's an excellent audiobook of it. It's a nice size and scope for learning the entire history of the Panama Canal. You can find out how the French tried to build it, how the Americans picked it up from there, and how the whole world created a gap between continents. I really recommend it. And Audible is an excellent way to get it. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books. I can listen to things about the Panama Canal whenever I want. Why don't you do that too? Plus, thanks to the Great Listen Guarantee, if you don't like your title, you'll like the Panama Canal thing. But in case you don't, you can swap it for a new one about, I don't know, another canal or just a whole different thing. There's also Audible Channels, giving you a collection of exclusive originals, short stories, and comedy, so you always have something new to listen to. 
Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash cracked. That is www.audible.com slash cracked, C-R-A-C-K-E-D, for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. Today's show also brought to you by one of my favorite sponsors, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country, and for less than $10 a meal, hey, that's pretty cheap, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. I've used Blue Apron before, and not only has it been a way to eat delicious food and also avoid shopping for all the ingredients of that food, but also you get to have a meal that maybe you never even would have thought to make. I learned how to use fennel. Turns out fennel's tasty. You can learn something as tasty, too. They also always ask us to read some of the meals that are coming up, and I take this as a personal challenge to read food in as cool of a fashion as I possibly can. So, here we go. Some of the meals available in August include basil pesto chicken with summer vegetable panzanella, whole grain pasta, and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprese salad, miso butter salmon and lo mein noodles with cucumber and charm tomatoes. Hey, it's a charming tomato. That's nice. Meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. The tomatoes just keep getting charming. I love it. I felt pretty good about those food reads. Let me know on Twitter if I'm good at reading food. I like to know. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash cracked. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash cracked. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. We are joined in the studio by Elizabeth DeClear, the author of uh, the Vice article Dragons in the Department of Corrections and a documentarian as well. That's right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And it's particularly great to talk to you about this because I don't know how else I would have experienced this thing, this phenomenon. (laughs) We're going to link off to the article if people haven't read it, but to describe it briefly, it's the story of people in a very, very high security prison in Colorado who are prisoners and who are playing Dungeons and Dragons as sort of an, I guess, event for themselves, as entertainment, as therapy. Yeah, as, yeah, as all everything. of the above. Yeah. Yeah, as a creative way to pass time. Yeah. So there's not that many alternatives there. You know, you can play dominoes, can play checkers. Sometimes you can play cards if cards are allowed. But that's, that's about it as yeah. far as games go. Okay, that's good to know. Because, yeah, one thing I was curious about is... This episode's mainly about Dungeons and Dragons. I know less about the prison system. And I read something the other day about how apparently O.J. Simpson, while he's in jail, loves to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. That's Is that like right? Chance. Yeah. <laughs> and my first reaction to that was, I didn't know you get to watch TV in prison. And <laughs> my understanding of it was that uh, entertainment options are pretty limited. And I'm guessing these prisoners don't have a lot of other choices as far yeah, as... Yeah, it depends uh, a lot on the facility and whether it's a state or county facility, state or federal. Yeah. And also the security level of the inmates. Right. Most of the inmates I've corresponded with over the course of my research for the article, and I'm also doing a documentary about inmates that play D&D, are at prisons where they have pretty uh, limited resources. And right. in some cases, D&D is even banned. Right. And so, yeah. That's, well, because in yeah, also in that article, it talks a bit about you talk a bit about how they kind of had to have to struggle to keep the game going, or right. at least at other prisons. Right. 
Yeah, so there's a number of different reasons that D&D is banned. So for one thing, some of the administrators have seen um, or interpreted the gaming groups as being similar to different gang groups because it's basically a group of people sitting at a table with a leader, and that mimics gang behavior. Right. So that's been one of the issues that's come up. The other big issue, of course, is that dice are banned in most prisons, and so it's very hard to play a Dungeons & Dragons game without your standard D20. Dice are banned. Dice are banned in a lot of prisons. Is it because they think they'll use it for gambling? Gambling, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes inmates are able to get around that with these 20-sided die because the COs aren't (laughs) as savvy to a 20-sided dice, um, or they simply make their own. Yeah. It sounds like we need to get prison uh, guards and wardens more up on the existence of role-playing games. Because a D20, hopefully they'll see it and be like, that's clearly not for standard dice gambling. That's for nerd stuff. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And actually, after publishing the article, I spoke with a couple of correctional officers who are gamers themselves. Oh, wow. They were people who either responded, who reached out to me or who commented on the article online. And then I followed up with them. Yeah. In one case, I spoke with a correctional officer in Texas who owned a game store himself for about 11 years as a hobby, and then um, was also a correctional officer, and he said that at one point they were having a shakedown, and another correctional officer came across his Dungeons & Dragons map and interpreted it as an escape plan. Wow. And he saw this and came over and came to the rescue of this <laughs> inmate and said, no, no, that's actually a D&D map. I recognize it. And he said after that, all the inmates in the prison knew that he played D&D, and so they would ask him about new releases and ask him about books and rules and things <laughs> like that. So he got this reputation as being the nerdy CO in the prison. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that seems to be an anomaly. Uh, most of the correctional officers aren't kind of, they kind of look quizzically at the game. At least that I've talked to or I heard stories about, they're not quite sure what to make of it. Yeah. Um, there's also a subset that have a predisposition to not like the D&D groups who carry over this uh, like 1990s association of D&D with um, satanic ritual. Oh, like that old moral panic trope when yes. it first started to be a big thing and, and parents were afraid that, oh, D&D will teach my children the ways of Satan. Yes, like, exactly. Like there was that panic around Harry Potter later on. And, you know, that's, that's amazing that some of them still have that touchstone and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, some people are still bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Wow. There's a big book that came out back in the 90s. I think it was the 90s. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was part of the whole anti-D&D, anti-role-playing movement. Oh, okay. Wow. As far as things being a movement, it sounds like you've found multiple different correctional facilities where D&D is happening. Is that right? Yeah, that's Cause, right. Because the, the article is mostly focused on, uh, if you all know, it's Sterling Correctional Facility, which is in kind of northeast part of Colorado. What led you to Sterling specifically as a place to, I guess, discover this? Right. Actually, that's a funny story. So yeah. I play D&D. Of course. Fantastic. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the dungeon master I play with, a friend of his from childhood, was recently incarcerated or reincarcerated, been in and out for a long time. And my friend got in touch with, kind of reconnected with him when he was in prison and found out that he was a dungeon master behind bars. And so my (laughs) friend comes to me and he says, you know what? You play in D&D and you also do documentaries about criminal justice and crime shows and things like that. This is a really cool intersection of these two things. Maybe you want to 
maybe I should connect you with this player behind bars. And so I started writing to him. Yeah. And the guy's name is Mel, uh, Melvin from the article. Oh, sure. In Woolly Bay. Yeah. And uh, just finding out about more about D&D and the resources they had to play with. And uh, more importantly, the impact it had on their day-to-day life in prison and their emotional and psychological development while they were in there. And so at first I thought this was a really neat, that I'd stumbled upon a unique, just anomalous story. Right. And then the more I started digging into it and the more research I did and the more people I talked to, I realized actually D&D is pretty ubiquitous. And I say D&D, but I mean role-playing games. There's also Pathfinder. Sure, There's a lot of other ones. Sometimes um, inmates will use the Dungeons & Dragons rules or sort of basic role-playing rules and then create their own fantasy worlds around that. And it might be like a gangster role-playing game or a Harry Potter role-playing game or, who <laughs> you know, who knows, whatever. Yeah. But it's actually more common, a lot more common than I realized. And at this point, I've connected with inmates in probably a dozen different states that are playing you know, they've been moved around a lot, and they say within each pod or each unit they've been in, there's usually one group that's playing Dungeons & Dragons. And the other funny thing is often these are guys, these aren't your, your stereotypical nerds. Uh-huh. So not all these guys played when they were in junior high. You know, some of them did, oh. certainly. But in many cases, they just started playing when they got to prison because they looked around at <laughs> the options of what they could possibly be doing with their time and said, hey, these guys look like they're having fun. Right. You know, they're doing something imaginative and creative, and there's not a whole lot of outlets for that in prison. I would think it would really jump out compared to just the other activities going on as yeah, far exactly. as what to do. <laughs> and even and in the article, when you're talking about Mel, Wooly Bay, I think he said he has a, a female halfling character was his character. Mm-hmm. So like he, and as he was describing it, you said he, he sort of went up a register vocally to <laughs> inhabit it. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And if I was in the yard, I would be like, something fun is happening here with this <laughs> six foot six man who is... Uh, role-playing, having a good time. There's so many different ways you can approach D&D. And one is you can play very strictly by the rules. Right. And the other is you can play a more imaginative role-playing game where you kind of throw away the rules, throw out the rules a little, and instead kind of adapt and go with the story and the narrative. And I find that the stories I'm hearing from prison, it sounds like because they often don't have access to rule books or like very limited, sometimes subsets of the rule books, they all tend to... Go the narrative fantasy role-playing route. Yeah. Building whole worlds, building plots. You know, the dungeon master builds plots for the characters to go in. And uh, often players on the outside will just use prefabricated plots and storylines because those are easy to come by. But when you're in prison, that's not always the case. So they're creating, doing all the world-building themselves. And actually, one of my favorite stories from uh, Mel was that over the course of his time in prison. He's been in solitary confinement several times, but at one point he was there in an administrative segregation without books, without dice, without any resources, without even easy access to the other inmates, and started running a role-playing game by yelling down the ventilation shafts, basically (laughs) saying, hey guys down there, I want to play this game. Will you join me? And so they're yelling back and forth. And of course, the, the other inmates, they don't have dice either. They have no ways to make rolls. He can't really right. hold them accountable to, you know, <laughs> um, to playing by the rules. But it's, um, it's, it's, it's a way for people to connect there. Yeah, where, that's incredible. you know, the whole system seems designed to segregate and isolate people. Yeah. And so there's these rare opportunities 
for inmates of different races, different sometimes gang affiliations to come together and actually do something cooperative. In DAD, I, I like to say that the race of the character they're playing often trumps their race as a player. Wow. That's very interesting they bring up that it can transcend gang affiliations in prison because my very probably pop culture-driven concept of prison is that gangs are very important and very hard to go beyond in any way if you're yeah. in jail and, and also uh, racial often, so you're just kind of in the one you're born into, so to speak. Uh, that's amazing that the prisoners can form uh, human connections that they wouldn't otherwise have without this fantasy world. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's how Mel and Aaron described their group in Colorado. But then as they started connecting to other groups in other states, they were saying a lot of the same things, that the D&D table was the only table in their prison where people of different races came together. And that's what I found so interesting is that this story is not isolated to this one prison. And I'm not going to by any means make the generalization that that's the case everywhere or in every state or anything, but sure. it seems to be an emerging theme that's coming through. Is that This is a fantastic tool to overcome these racial divides and barriers that's and emotional barriers too. In the article, you get quite a bit into the overall therapeutic value of it. It seems like we've studied it a little bit academically as far as what role-playing and D&D can do as a therapeutic tool. But in particular for these prisoners, it seems to be a really powerful way to act out a life that maybe they don't otherwise have in that moment. Absolutely. I think role-playing has been more, more accepted as a tool for therapy and for learning how to express and explore difficult emotions in a way that's vicarious and therefore a little bit safer. Yeah. And certainly in prison, in a very machismo environment where people aren't, as, as I've been told, talking openly about their crimes or their remorse or their feelings about their lives and, and the journey that got them there, playing D&D is a way to express some of that through these characters and in this fantasy world that there's really no other outlet for. Yeah. And actually, one other point I wanted to make about that, about role-playing as a way to express oneself, I think back in the 90s, more so in the past, that was the reason why people feared games like Dungeons & Dragons, was because they feared that given this kind of dissonance between yourself and the character, people would somehow be, feel safer to explore dangerous, harmful, even like evil or sadistic Right. impulses, that the worst of human nature would come out through role-playing. Yeah, go out there and be a necromancer in a way that we don't want our children to be. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so people were saying D&D was responsible for doing teen suicides and right. homicides and things like that. But actually the opposite seems to be the case, at least in these prison groups, that it's a chance for them to play the hero, play the person that they always wanted to be. And I asked one of the dungeon masters at one point, What's the most common alignment that you see in prison? And he said, actually, most of them play good characters, even lawful good characters, oh. which is so counterintuitive, <laughs> right? We think of prison as being the environment of, you know, chaotic, evil people, but um, some core part of them wants to be or even identifies as the hero or the paladin, the, yeah. the lawful good. I've also had dungeon masters tell me that they have had the occasional case where somebody plays, an inmate plays a chaotic evil character and it just, they just lose it. They start doing things that are completely inappropriate. Like within um, the game or in, yeah, the, in the prison? Yeah, within the game. Yeah, oh, I the see. Game. Sorry. I see. Yeah, um, yeah. 
within the game. They play uh, they play uh, a chaotic evil character and they take it too far with that character committing crimes or acting out their rage or things like that. And so some dungeon masters will just say no chaotic evil characters and make a blanket rule for anybody joining the group that you know you can be neutral, um, you can be chaotic, but there's no evil characters in this game. Wow. And so that's a way they can kind of police that type of behavior. I feel like on some level they are the warden of the game at that point. Yeah, exactly. Saying, ah, not in here. That's against the rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man. Yeah, and I do think it's important, especially I've been working with a couple groups on the outside that are using Dungeons & Dragons as a tool for rehabilitation. Cool. As a place where recently released inmates can gather together to do something cooperatively, to spend their weekends being productive and talking over some of the issues of reintegration and rehabilitation. And in those groups, having somebody there to act as a mediator is really helpful. So having a volunteer who has a therapy background or a social work background to help facilitate the role play and guide it a little bit and also just to um, foster a conversation or answer questions about the rehabilitation process is very helpful. To have a volunteer come in and sort of full-on DM the campaign they're doing? Yeah, or even just be a member of the game. That's amazing. Yeah. I hope prisons are welcoming to that kind of people wanting to do that. I don't don't know if they would be. It seems they're progressing in that direction. That's really cool. I don't know if you observed this situation happening, but part of me is just curious with, as far as holding the structure of a game together, like what happens if someone gets out of jail who's like part of the campaign? Like in, in my own life, I feel like just... In my D&D experience, if someone suddenly can't make it anymore, it's a big deal, you know? I'm sure it must be very bittersweet if somebody makes it out and also suddenly we don't have them for the cave or the tower or whatever we're approaching. (laughs) Yeah, that happens all the time. Not just because they're released, but because people are constantly being transferred between pods, between facilities. Oh, sure. Their games are evolving and their new players are stepping in or taking over the roles of other players. One of the groups I've connected with recently, it's a group of players, um, most of whom were lifers from Solano Prison in California. And there is a whole group of them playing. And coincidentally, they all started to get released around the same time, like within months of each other. And so they regrouped up in San Francisco. Oh, like on the outside? On the outside. And they're now all playing up there. Oh, that's the best (laughs) news. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So they picked up their game there with dice and with books and with miniatures and even paint, you know, and yeah. all the all the resources imaginable. Because also one of uh, and I have so many conceptions about prison that probably need correcting. But one of them is that as far as preventing recidivism or at least just helping people on the outside, there's either halfway houses or something like it often where people will go and and that's somewhere where you kind of ease your way back into life on the outside, I guess. That ongoing D&D game seems like the world's greatest halfway house. I can't imagine a better way to be suddenly on the outside again where you still get to be your dwarf and still be with the rest of the party. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And as I've talked to guys, women too, but uh, most of the people, the gamers have been men. Oh, and these groups must be uh, gender segregated for the most part. Oh, in prison, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But so as these guys get out of prison, one of the biggest risks for them is um, actually just loneliness. 
Wow. Because you're in an envi- environment in prison where you're surrounded by people you get out. Often they don't have the same support structure. Who knows if they ever had a support structure, but they definitely don't have one when they're getting out. Sure. And there's this temptation to go back to the people you knew, you know, before you were incarcerated. And sometimes those are the people that got you to prison in the first place. Basically, they hung out with the wrong crowds before they got to prison. While they were in prison, they went through all these programs to better themselves, did a lot of self-reflection. They get out. They want to put all that to use, but they're lonely, and they end up circling back to the negative sphere of influence that yeah. you know ultimately got them in trouble in the first place. And so to be able to offer people in that position a constructive community that's gathered together to do something fun and imaginative and creative that even involves uh, quite a bit of arithmetic yeah. <laughs> and number crunching uh, and, you know, no alcohol involved, all of that. It's, uh, it's incredibly constructive. That's really cool. There may not be an answer, but in observing prisoners for this and, and for other work, because you also might, you've done a lot of reporting about criminal justice in general. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's any other particularly therapeutic activities that seem to come up in prisons. My pop culture conception of it is a lot of working out and maybe playing some chess, <laughs> which is, I'm sure, very limited. But like hearing that D&D is useful for this, I'm almost imagining like prison improv groups, the other group activities that would maybe have this kind of impact. Yeah, so the Marin Shakespeare Company has a program at San Quentin where they teach inmates theater skills, basically, wow. and they do performances with the inmates, and it's uh, always Shakespeare. Oh, fantastic. Or, I mean, I, I say always. It's usually, they. I think they've done other uh, theatrical performances. I've watched some of their performances online, and it's amazing how expressive the inmates are getting into these Shakespearean characters. Cool. And I think one of the reasons behind that is for your average college student attempting to play Hamlet or King Lear or some character out of a Shakespeare tragedy, you only have so much life experience to be able to connect with that character. Oh, sure. Right? There's a lot of imagination that goes there in, <laughs> into acting out some of those roles. I think some of these inmates, because of the tragedies that have happened to them in their childhood and then, the, you know, whatever happened to them to the, get them in prison in the first place, these Shakespeare characters speak to them more oh, than yeah. they might somebody else. And so it's amazing how expressive and emotive their performances are. They've connected with tragedy before. Exactly. Wow. I feel like when I guessed improv, I was almost lowballing them. Like, they're doing Shakespeare. That's fantastic. And also maybe all-male companies like the original. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. As we're talking about D&D as therapy, is anyone studying these prisoners? Is anyone... I, I know we have studies of D&D's therapeutic impact on people, and then we have prisoners playing D&D. Is anyone going out and doing like a scientific research involving these people as subjects? I feel like there would be something there. It's not your job to make this happen. I'm just I'm curious I about, would love to make that happen. Yeah. I don't know of any formal study going yeah. on. If there was one, I'd love to know about it. Yeah. I had definitely thought at one point about trying to do a survey just to find out how widespread this actually was. But there's logistical challenges in doing that. I mean, to send flyers out to every prison or, you know, how does that work? But absolutely. I mean, I'd love to see somebody with more of a psych research background approach this topic. 
Yeah, yeah. Listeners, get out there. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking right before we recorded. You said there's also D&D being used therapeutically for uh, like LGBT youth. Is that right? That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know the details of it. Oh, okay. uh, but I know that there was one therapist, at least out in Colorado, who's using Dungeons and Dragons as a therapeutic tool for LGBT youth in their coming out process. as a way to get familiar with different personas or different aspects of their identity. With so many of these things, it seems like a perfect fit, and I just wouldn't have thought of it because I think our our conception of Dungeons & Dragons especially because it's such a fantasy world thing, but role-playing in general, I think we we tend to see it as pretty game-specific, but wow, you can use it in so many different facets of being a person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So in 1994, psychologist Wayne Blackman published a case study showing how Dungeons & Dragons was used to rehabilitate a suicidal 19-year-old. And that was a pretty seminal study at the time. So this was back in the day that it wasn't quite as, um, I mean, certainly people played, but it wasn't as widely accepted as a tool for therapy or -hmm. for self-exploration. And so this was a patient, involved a patient he'd been working with for a long time who just seemed very stonewalled. Okay. Uh, but then he learned that this patient played Dungeons and Dragons on the weekend and oh. started asking the patient about his Dungeons and Dragons game. And suddenly this person who was this emotional blank wall kind of blossomed or ex- started to express themselves yeah. as they were describing the trials and tribulations their character went through in the game. So I think that is a really neat case study and certainly should be used as a tool more often. I wonder what helped them so much with that. Maybe it was being able to disconnect themselves from the character or, or use that as a mouthpiece or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. Wow. I feel like as people running a prison, it would be pretty hard to shut down one of these games, right? Like, I, I'm curious what attempts people have made to prevent these games from happening. I know it sounds like they'll take away dice, like that's contraband mm-hmm. uh, in some in some cases, but... Beyond that, it's, what, pencils and paper and just people's imaginations? Like you talked about Mel shouting his game down the hallway Mm -hmm. to other people. How draconian have people gotten about trying to end prison Dungeons & Dragons games? That's a good word. Draconian is a great word to describe this. I mean, Thanks. There's sort of a dragon in it, so I figured... That's exactly right. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. It's it's actually decided on a prison-by-prison basis. Okay. And it's up to the prison to determine what is and is not a security threat. Yeah. So there are some I found, uh, like a prison in Idaho, for example, that just outlaws it. It's even on their their website. They say no no role playing games. It's something that's banned. It made it to the website. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> They're on the ball. Like yeah. updating a website at all. Huge task. <laughs> Huge bear. Don't want to deal with it. And I think the most famous case was out of Wisconsin, a correctional facility that I mentioned in my article called Wapun, and actually I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's W-A-U-P-U-N, correctional facility in Wisconsin. They confiscated an inmate's gaming material. He had written a 92-page manuscript describing his game. His name was Kevin Singer, Mm -hmm. as well as his books and other gaming materials. Oh, man. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody know knows who, who loses a character sheet or you know loses right anything it can be devastating and then to lose that much accumulated material that he'd been stockpiling for a long time and so he ended up suing the prison and it actually escalated to the federal court system 
and they determined it was the prerogative of the prison to decide whether or not D&D or really anything constituted a security threat. So he lost then because they had determined. That's, right. mm-hmm. That's incredible. His, uh, you said, 92-page book of all these different things. That's the one rare case where he could be like, no, no, it's just a crazy manifesto. Or, so, you know, he could be, <laughs> right. no, no, it's just an anarchist text. And they'd be like, oh, okay, that's fine. We're only afraid of goblins. So yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody described to me recently how they used to, they would cover the spines and like the covers of their D&D manuals with other books. Oh, wow. (laughs) Like kids hiding comic books in a classroom or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But actually, this trial was very interesting because Kevin Singer's counsel brought in a whole host of behavioral experts to talk about the fact that D&D had been used in therapy, could be um, a rehabilitative tool. And in spite of all that, the court basically said it didn't matter that it was ultimately up to the prison to determine what is in keeping with the mission of the correctional system. You know, it also raises all these interesting questions about what is the mission of the correctional system? Is it punitive or is it rehabilitative? Yeah. Right? And if D&D is proven to be rehabilitative, how is that not in keeping with their system? If you're the victim of a crime, I mean, perhaps you'd identify with this, don't like to think of the perpetrators, like the world's worst or the country's worst offenders sitting in prison and just indulging in this escapist fantasy day after day. If prison's a place where they're supposed to sit and meditate on their crime. Right. They shouldn't spend any hours cheating and (laughs) being on the loose in Middle Earth. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) One of the things I've been doing recently is after I published the article, a lot of inmates and former inmates wrote to me to tell me stories about how they had played behind bars. And oh, the sorts great. of ways yeah. the the article starts by talking about um, the the you know headline is that they you know inmates exercise their creativity without dice and so people started to write to me about how the sorts of dice substitutes that they'd used so I began oh, really? collecting amassing this um, collection of dice and photos of inmate dice and stories about how they were making dice and all the the whole scope of substitutes. I'm imagining Shawshank Redemption when he's carving the chess pieces, but for this, like he's just making a D16, like with whatever he has. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so it's it's using whatever materials they have access to. I've seen photos of dice that were molded out of toilet paper. They will often create paper dice that then they glue together with jam or. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, or, you know, any sort of substance they can, toothpaste, for example, they weight the dice with laundry detergent or um, sand or whatever they can come across. And then above and beyond dice, I have now many, many examples of spinners that inmates will make out of a paper clip and like a piece of cardboard. And so you can actually have all the dice in your repertoire, like the D6 all the way up to the D20 on this one spinner with concentric circles. So the inner circle will be, you know, oh, about one that? through six, and the outer circles, you know, then you got your D10 and your D12 and your D20 is the outer circle. You take the spinner, you know, and then you get your roll. With the documentary you're making, what kind of ground are you covering? Like, are you going to the same prison Sterling in Colorado, or are you going kind of all over the country? What's the scope of it? 
So I'm focusing on two different states. One okay. is Colorado and the other is California. Great. And groups in those two states, specifically on inmates that played behind bars and yeah. their process of getting out and the way they've been using D&D as a tool for reintegration into society. I actually, just back in April, I went with a crew from Vice out to Colorado to film Mel's release. Oh, so, oh, so Mel has been released. He's been released. Oh, hey, congratulations, Mel. <laughs> as has Aaron, who he played with, who was his cellmate hey. behind bars, who was the um, DM of their game there. And um, Mel's first order of business after finding a place to live, after finding somewhere to eat and a job and checking with his parole officer and all that, was to play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, fantastic. So we facilitated a group between Aaron and Mel and then a group of other people, actually, that we found on Reddit and a few other places oh. <laughs> to sit down Yeah, to sit down together and play D&D and then ask them about, okay, what, what are the differences of playing behind bars and seeing their dynamic unfold? And then to try to set that up as something that happens more regularly, both with them and with inmates in other places. Sure. So out in, Col- out in California, I discovered a similar group happening. There's a activist and criminal defense attorney out there named Jared Rudolph, and he has an organiza- organization called the Prisoner Reentry Network. And through his work with that organization, he discovered groups of inmates playing D&D and then decided to start offering games for some of these guys who are getting out. Oh. And so that started back in December. And um, it's still going strong. Same group of guys coming every other Sunday, week after week, to sit down together and carry on this campaign. There's few people have come and gone from the group, but it's like a very inclusive, supportive atmosphere. And just I've been joining them for their games and the things they talk about. It's not limited to D&D. It's, okay, how's your job search going? I'm struggling because there's a stigma with being an ex-con and I'm having trouble getting a job and what resources do you have access to and, oh, can you put me in touch with that person? Or, oh, I'm looking for a letter of recommendation for an employer. Maybe you can help with this. They start just jamming about life stuff and how they can support one another. And so it's really, it's interesting the games meander back and forth between vanquishing yetis and caves and, you know, saving children and um, all, all sorts of fantasy role play scenarios. And then there are real life trials and tribulations and their inner demons, right? That's what I like to say is they're oh, sure. vanquishing monsters and foes in the game and, you know, also internally. Well, and, and they've literally escaped a dungeon, you know, good for them. Yes, literally. <laughs> Yeah, and that's so tremendous that it can be the support network that all of us need, but especially uh, especially them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for coming on the show, Liz, but is there anything you want to plug with specifically the documentary? Like, where can we find this? If it Well, the piece I did uh, with Vice is coming out probably within the next month or so. Okay, so cool. keep an eye out for that. It's a 10-minute mini-doc Great. about Mel Mel's release and uh, his game with Aaron. And then I'm also doing a feature-length documentary and I have a website for that. It's dragonsinthedoc.com. And that's in production right now. I don't have a release date for that yet, but uh, keep your eye out. Cool. People can go there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.
I'm joined in the studio by Jeffrey Golden. Hello, greetings. Hey, and we're also joined by Lee Keeler. Howdy. Hey, howdy right back to you. I like howdy. Yeah. Howdy's one of my favorite greetings. <laughs> howdy. Howdy do. It's distinctly yeah. American. It's like you know you're talking to an American <laughs> and you're having yeah. an American conversation. <laughs> Real yeah. Red, white, and blue. Well, speaking of the best goddamn country in the world. Absolutely. Uh, you guys have rolled out uh, a very interesting role-playing game because it's it's a comedic property right it's a wet hot american summer role-playing game that's exactly right wet hot american summer fantasy camp it's an official role-playing game based on the hit film turned netflix series and uh, it will be available in stores on in november man just before christmas (laughs) (laughs) wet hot american summer christmas summer they say they say christmas in july what about July right. in, in Christmas? Christmas. There Where's we go. Where's that? Where's Thank that? You. When you need okay. it most because you're yeah. freezing your butt off. That's right. And you're like, I really wish it was warmer right, right. now. Yep. And that's, our, where the, that's where Wet Out American yeah, Summer comes it's in. It's the shorts that Santa wears <laughs> underneath these things. You know what I mean, man? <laughs> and our, our Australian listeners are like, what? I don't, what? It's None of they this have makes the whole sense. Reverse yeah, and the, They're upside down. Or no camps. Like yeah. So, yeah. Listen, we all know everything we know about... <laughs> Australia from that Simpsons episode. Yeah. So we know the reverse flushing. <laughs> oh, yeah. We know the booting. Yeah. And we know uh, that they drink giant beers. And we, ad- we adapted the game so you can just punch people in the face that are next to you, depending on how, right. they, how yeah. they roll. Yeah. If it's an Australian version. Aussie yeah. style. Right, yeah. Yeah. right, right. Aussie yeah. style. Yeah. <laughs> you guys said it's an official game, too. Yeah, yes. You went and got permission from the, the people who made the, the 2001 comedy movie. Yes. And you're all set. It starts at Disneyland. The two of us were with two of our friends, and we were uh, drunk and a little high. Yeah, it was, yeah. And high. we were chatting. We yeah. were shooting the shit, as they say. <laughs> you know, there's like that forest-themed fancy hotel in the middle of California Adventure. I've only I've only been at Disneyland once ever. I don't oh. know very well. Oh, yeah, go back and get wasted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was on drinking age. You'll too, have so your best ideas. Yeah. You'll have your best <laughs> ideas. Get wasted. That's yeah, why they're we in this like Twin Peaks knockoff bar, just getting air conditioning. <laughs> and then I had been taking edibles all day, and some other people I won't say who they were were joining me. And then, uh, yeah, we were just kind of sh- shooting it around, and we realized we'd already done. They'd already done some role playing games, and we so we'd already worked with Joe Latruglio. So, so yeah, so uh, so I run a publishing company with my partner Amanda Meadows called The Devastator. Yeah. We're the only all humor press in America. With uh, folks from The Daily Show, The Onion, Adult Swim. Lee's one of our authors. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had designed a role-playing game called Wizards of Cockblock Forest. Yeah. It's a real game. <laughs> Everyone plays as a wizard, and you have works. to cockblock each other with magic spells. It's real. Oh, yeah, it works. It's America's game, for God's <laughs> sake. We sort of, we came up with this party RPG. This It's a role-playing game that's, you know, as much about maybe leans more towards uh, the role playing, towards the the fun, towards antics, with maybe some board game elements mixed into the storytelling. Yeah. So that was part A, and then part B, as you said, Lee, we had worked with uh, Julie Truglio on a on a photo shoot for uh, the Devastator. Started as a quarterly magazine, yeah, uh, yeah humor anthology, magazine, yeah. anthology. 
And uh, and then we transitioned to become a full line press. So now we make books, yeah. uh, standalone books. And yeah, one of our old magazines, we did a photo shoot with Joe Latruglio, which was hilarious. He was amazing. What kind of photos? Like, what was going on? Yeah. I just <laughs> said that like it was dirty. They are, we cannot. We it is um, so. so uh, it was for crude. a manga issue, and Amanda had written a really wonderful parody about a manga pillow dating site. And then Joe was starring in the ads for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was the so, this was I, a website that matched you with your ideal anime love pillow. So yeah. why settle for a anime love pillow <laughs> when you can have <laughs> the anime, anime love pillow of your life? Yeah, of your, sure. Your love of your life. Yeah, the love <laughs> of your little Tokyo life. And while he was wrapped around a pillow, you said, "Hey, by the way, but, we <laughs> would love to do a wet out American summer <laughs> role play game." Well, this was about. I think there was about three years between the two. Uh, the oh two yeah. Things. Yeah. Okay, we, cool. we you know we run it like a little bit like molasses. Like, it's slow and sweet. I, I had contact with David Wayne uh, over the years. Uh, oh, yeah, who directed the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like co-creator. And so we just were like, okay, Jeff put together this incredible pitch. And then we sent it over to David, and he responded really well and really quickly. So that we were just off and running. It was pretty crazy. The fiction of it was that the indoor kids... The night after they saved the camp, they created this role-playing game together. So they created this 120-page elaborate role-playing game sometime between like 10 p.m. and when they when they were supposed to be <laughs> picked up by their parents the following morning. And so the idea was that we could kind of explore those characters because the, the film... You get hints at their personalities yeah. with all that's going on. You know, you only get little, little, a little taste. So we thought it'd be fun to like live with those characters for, uh, for this manual. And the idea is that you can play as a camper or counselor at Camp Firewood, and you can create your own character, or you can play as the characters from the movie. Every player has a big camp dream. So this is something that's a little different from standard role-playing game. Yeah, yeah. You basically just pick out what your character would follow, that person's path, be it something from romance or something from adventure or some kind of weird breakout quality that you have where, you know, you can suck your own dick. Right. Um, so, right. So, so that would, might be one. So you that, might put as an ambition, big camp dream, by the end of this day at camp, I want to be able to suck my own dick. Yeah. Or you might want to be All able right. to do a... Should we... Oh, is this a, is this a family-friendly show? Oh, no, I, it's I, fine. I'm, uh, it's totally fine. You I'm, seem I'm just super uncomfortable. <laughs> Every no, time I, I say suck my own dick, you seem a little bit <laughs> no, more less comfortable. Because no. uh, I was looking at... You guys did a Kickstarter. It, it raised over 15 grand, which That's is right. amazing. Oh, thank uh, you very so much. So there's definitely awesome. a, a demand out there for role-playing in a completely comedy medium. It's certainly not the first uh, comedy role-playing game uh, in existence. We actually used one of our models for the game was the Ghostbusters role-playing game from the 80s. But it was a great example of adapting a comedy film into uh, role-playing. I didn't know that existed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very obscure. You can buy it on eBay for over a hundred dollars, like the actual, like original, it came with a bunch of stuff. It came with like a Ghostbusters like ID cards and and you know all kinds of ridiculous little pieces and stuff. Too. Yeah, with a Ghostbusters RPG, you could have told me any number it costs on eBay, and I would have believed you. Oh, and that's like, funny. Oh yeah, ten thousand dollars for a mint one, absolutely. Right. Ten yeah, grand, yeah, yeah. one dollar because no one wants it anymore. Sure, so uh, cool, I get a cool mill, a cool mill. <laughs> run the gamut. Yeah, completely. Yeah, that's fascinating, man. It's own because like I feel like RPGs are a relatively fresh medium. Like, on 
quick Googling it, I think the first Dungeons & Dragons was published like 74, something like that. So in terms of like the history of a tabletop role-playing game, it's pretty short just yeah. in terms of other pop culture mediums. Yeah, and so within a few years of Ghostbusters coming out, they were like, great, tabletop game. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. There was, I, there was a time when licensed role-playing games... I'm going to say late 80s, early 90s was like a big like cash cow thing. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of them. I played um, Marvel. I played Star Wars. So there was like... Street Fighter. There's a number of them. There's a lot of ones that you wouldn't expect. What we try to do differently here is a lot. I've played a lot of these games, and a lot of them feel like, well, it's another game, but we slapped the skin of this license onto it. Yeah. We, we built this game from scratch. We really wanted it to feel like you were having a wet, hot American summer adventure. We're huge fans of the film and the TV show. And we thought this game should really reflect what's great about the show. Cool. One thing that we did that was different, talking about Dungeons and Dragons, and like a lot of role-playing games are quest-based, right? So it's a group quest. All of us are, we're going to go to the cave, we're going to invade the cave, we're going to kill the dragon, we're going to get the loot, whatever. So the big camp dream, that's an individual goal. So like the film Went Hot American Summer, everybody has their own agenda, right? Something they want to do, whether it's Victor, you know, trying to get uh, to and from the camp in time so he can he can get laid, to, you know, the, the indoor kids with David Hyde Pierce trying to save the camp, right. to yeah. the, you know... Coop to, trying to get a girlfriend. Coop trying to get a girlfriend, yeah. Susie running the talent show. So that was the idea, is that every player has their own story that then t- they all tie in together at the end by the, oh, okay. camp, by the camp director. So it's more like, it's kind of like an episode of Seinfeld in that way, too, where it's like... They can team up, certainly, but everybody has their own goals, their own ways to play the game, and then uh, they all meet up at yeah. the end. Yeah, and, and between conclusion. the 80s and the, the what it parodies and what it actually is, you have the right to be hilariously selfish in this game, <laughs> which is awesome, yep. you know what I mean? Like, no, oh, Because just, of Reagan. Yeah, because of Reagan. Because of Reagan, yeah. Thank you. Way to boil it down. Reagan administration. (laughs) It was the me me decade. It's the me decade. That's also very interesting with the overall goals because one thing I wondered about, oh, it's a RPG from a straight-up comedy property because most fantasy RPGs or or post-apocalypse or whatever, like you said, whatever skin you put on it, uh, it's a very dramatic quest. That's the momentum of the story is dramatic. And like even a Ghostbusters game, I could see it being, oh, we have the dramatic purpose goal. Yeah, we have a giant, giant monster. monster. Yeah, Yeah. and so the comedy game, it sounds like it still kind of has that propulsion of, oh, we need to accomplish the goal. What we do is every game ends with a big conclusion. So there is built into the game is a, a big dramatic finish. So, for example, we offer uh, three prepackaged modules that you can play as. You can story <laughs> paths that you can play, one of which is save the camp, right? So uh, some major disaster is going to befall the camp, and you and your fellow players uh, are going to help stop it in whatever ways that you can. But this is this is happening. This crazy thing is happening, yeah. and you better watch out for it. Yeah. There's a, a bonfire boinking scenario <laughs> where it ends, uh, <laughs> where the, it's a more romantic-themed 
story path where the game just ends with a big conclusive bonfire where, you know, all the relationships will come to a head in one way or another, (laughs) burning passions, you know. So the idea is to sort of lead people to a a big conclusion, to a dramatic dramatic finish. A big boink, if you will. The big big boink. boink. The big boink. Completely. And can somebody also kind of just write up their own campaigns or is it absolutely pretty, yeah okay that's yeah. a we have a prefab but then we also make it so uh you can tailor it to whatever characters are given so your players will create their own camper it's usually campers yeah. or their own counselors as it were and then the camp director will take that and then create that campaign within usually like 20, 30 minutes. Like yeah. we've done that with test plays. Uh, some of them just come with something that's preconceived uh, if they know what the character is. That's what's kind of cool about if you do it with a group of friends again and again and buy all of the updated editions and modules <laughs> sure at devastatorpress.com. Advanced editions. The advanced editions. A fantasy camp. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so in addition to, uh, as, as Lisa said, in addition to playing Adventures in Camp Firewood, you could create a space camp. You could create a fat kids camp, yeah. you know, like at heavyweights. Yeah. You, as the camp director, can design your own camp. And within Camp Firewood, even within the campaigns that we've built, you can mix and match activities to give uh, your campers and counselors to create stories for them individually. To tailor campaigns. it to them, yeah. Because yeah. you don't always want to use like arts and crafts. Arts and farts and graphs, oh. uh, depending on the character. Yeah, but you, you might want to you might want to put them through uh, through a softball game. Or another aspect of this game is that people act out the things that they're doing. So, for example, um, we have an arts and crafts activity. So players will be drawing. They will be you know creating macaroni art or you know pipe, pipe cleaner, cleaner pipe cleaner or sculptures yeah. to try and impress Gail, the arts and crafts teacher in the game. Oh. So so there's like all these like activities, sort of board game esque like mini activities within. And what we've found in our playtesting is people who aren't as familiar with role playing games really like this game. They ease into the storytelling element, the dice rolling element, via these activities. And I think role-playing gamers like it because it offers a variety of things to do. So it's not always just about roll, 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 roll. It's not just about rolling. It's also about, oh, we can create, you know, a fun set of activities over the course of the afternoon or evening. (laughs) Right, because you're not just rolling for everything. It's also, oh, instead of rolling a macaroni check, I will. (laughs) So you're actually putting macaroni on Or for auditioning for the big talent show, you know, you're getting up and you are singing, you are juggling, you are doing stand-up comedy. Like, there's a swimming section where like you drink water. Yeah, we haven't done this in the (laughs) playtest. I think we put in a disclaimer for people not to get hurt, but you can like hold your breath. It's it's one. It's the thing where uh, where you where you hold your nose and you drink the water. And you see, like, how long you can hold your nose and drink. I'm doing miming it right now yeah. for everybody in Radioland. You hold your, your nose and drink water as long as you can. And so that's the competition. You see how long. Who can do it the longest, you know, who can actually go through a full glass of water. <laughs> yeah, we definitely it. we wanted way more of the board game elements without having to uh, 
Oh, create a board game? Yeah. <laughs> no. Those are expensive. We know. We just we knew that uh, in terms of the faith to the movie that an RPG was the way to go, but also nobody, considering that era, would be upset about something that was almost Twister-esque in spirit. Yeah. Because that's, that's just part of it as well. Like, playing Mousetrap, playing Twister is just, just as relevant to what was going on in that time period. That's the cross-pollination. That's the, the role-playing party game. Yeah. You know, where you're, you know, even more 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 casual players can play and have a good time with seasoned, uh, vet- and seasoned veterans can advance their characters and there is character advancement. There is modifying your character, giving them special abilities and figuring out there's a trait <laughs> system and all sorts of things for the more hardcore players too they yeah. can latch on to spunk points spunk points you get your spunk <laughs> oh yeah everybody's got some spunk in them that's the thing yeah. but you might lose it over the course of your day you might lose some of your spunk so yeah. you gotta watch out yeah and it sounds like you as a player do play it pretty straight within the world of it being a comedy game you also like spunk points will feel like a valuable resource and right you do want to hit that goal too that's a cool balance there so you you try to accumulate spunk points and you get them when you do something good in the game but if when something embarrassing happens to you if you get pants in front of the cafeteria you'll lose spunk points and if you get to zero spunk points you have to roll the dice of fate and who knows what will happen will you be will you be sent home from camp Will you? Will you go to the big secret pizza party that yeah. Andy, that Andy takes people to <laughs> on the road outside of town? Will you win a camp lottery and stumble into some lost and found area? You know, anything can happen with the dice of fate. That's the <laughs> that's the cool thing. Yeah. That's the fun thing. Yeah, uh, the, with the crafts and and I don't know the innocence. Like, what drew you so specifically to? making a wet hot game versus i don't know like another huge comedy i mean i feel like it's partly uh, having personal relationships with people and you want to bring their thing to even more life but it was that but like mostly those characters like if you really think of certain properties like uh police academy or whatever mm-hmm. or ghostbusters like yeah. these characters on their own like that was actually my first instinct was just that we would be able to play as these characters yeah sure um because i was like yeah, i would just love to do anything as as gene in a campaign like and react <laughs> as gene or as like um i don't know the, how well people listening at home know the movie and, and now the netflix shows from it but for one thing the cast is basically only people who are famous now or huge in comedy now oh yeah but before uh, many of them before they were huge and it's, it's great it's crazy yeah. you have uh, all this you have the state guys like Michael yeah. Showalter, David Wayne, Michael Ian Black, but you have folks like Janine Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, Christopher Maloney, Bradley uh, Cooper, Bradley Cooper, and oh, Amy yeah. Poehler, oh, some raccoon know. racket, yeah. some guy. I saw from the Kickstarter page that I guess you guys hit a stretch goal to add extra characters, and so now there's so many characters. One of them is even <laughs> the talking can of vegetables. Yeah, you can play as the can of vegetables. We had somebody play as can yeah. of vegetables recently At in Comic Con. Yeah, it was Which funny. Is, it was just awesome. something I'm glad we're <laughs> discussing for anybody who hasn't seen the movie because they'll be lost, and I love it. It's oh great. yeah, <laughs> the um, the play person who was playing as can of vegetables was trying to warn some of the campers about <laughs> an impending problem but rolled a one and the of course the can of vegetables talks with through its lid as a, as a mouth and the yeah. lid actually snapped yeah, just snapped, snapped off. off right yeah. so he, so then the guy was who was playing it was had to do every turn with the characters not only are they just really fun awesome 
characters, but they also have like such a wide variety of things that they want. Yeah. And I think that makes for a really fun role-playing experience. When players who want to play a romantic game versus and and players who want to play is something, you know, more ridiculous or stunt-based or what have you, can all coexist in the same game. That's really cool. Yeah. That's like a real Yeah, a, that's pretty rare. You go from player story to player story and it's so much it's so so varied and so much fun. Like you could be having hilarious total shifts between what's happening between your players. Yeah, which is what the movie <laughs> is technically about. Like exactly. it's a comedy, but it's just a wide array of comedy. Like you said, yeah, it's pretty nuts. Like there'll be dudes yeah. getting married to each other in a pond. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. It's just like like wait what? It's getting married in a pond and then the very next scene they're all like shoving a fat kid into a shower you know (laughs) it's like like, this is great this movie's great right right and then you roll to see what temperature the water is yeah and how painful it'll be and and if you replace his voice with a dude from freaks and geeks yeah uh, yeah in in post (laughs) they did do that and i think he's playing the character in the new in 10 years later sam's coming back sam line yeah is coming back as the guy yeah smart so Artie, who is the the he's the kid who does the morning announcements. They didn't like the kid's voice, his performance. They didn't they didn't like it, and so they had. Is it the same Levine? Sam Sam or Levine? I'm not. Speaking. You could mess. That up. Oh boy, Sam L. Sam like, L. I don't know either. Sammy yeah. L. Yeah, they got him to dub in uh, in the voice for the character. So now. It's going to be him playing the Artie. Playing but, of course, he doesn't really look like Artie did, but who cares? No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're also bringing back Chris Pine, and I thought that character died. So, <laughs> well, I guess we'll find Chris, Chris Pine was in that? He was in the prequel, and then I thought right. he died oh, oh, in the prequel, oh, yeah. but right. it's too attractive. And so he'll be a ghost. He'll just have to. Yeah. <laughs> this character will be a ghost. He'll just have to be a ghost. It's one of my favorite things about big comedies and also soaps I feel like they'll just do continuity stuff that feels good RPG soap would actually be really great would actually be really great yeah we'd probably sell the heck yeah. out of it yeah it's a really cool it's a really that, cool genre really, for a role playing game I feel like role playing games in general have reached a point where there's enough knowledge of the original thing as a concept that yeah. the world is kind of ready for new evolutions of it. You know, yeah. like you can kind of go ahead and do it, well, which that, happened fast. It only took like 40 years. I know. Yeah, there. yeah, it's like, a, yeah. a real, real quick jump there. <laughs> it's role playing and, you know, playing pretend, basically. It's like pretend with rules. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of fantasies, cool fantasies. I mean, I remember playing a game called Aberrant growing up and because uh, I really loved X-Men and it was really cool that there was like a game that was basically it's like X Men, like the role playing game. It's called Aberrant. It's say? called Aberrant. Yeah, I don't okay. think it's still in uh, in production. Oh. It's an old one. Like but, the like the word something is aberrant. Like right. It's different. They call like them mutants. It's like calling. Yeah. It's exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's mutants. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's copyright <laughs> safe mutants. Exactly. <laughs> it's it was a lot of fun and it, it definitely for me it was like that was like a fantasy you know as an X Men fan it's just like hey like what if I was a mutant you know. What would yeah. my powers be? What would right. those cool things? That's like a cool fantasy that like, you know, if role-playing games were all high fantasy Dungeons & Dragons, you would miss a lot of people who enjoy role-playing and just want to role-play different stuff. Right. And then the scary fan fiction people who are just writing their fantasies 
uh, sometimes with like perversions or bodily fluids, can now do that in a room full of people. So they're not totally lonely either. Right. That will prevent some kind of mental illness or suicide. Hooray! We did it. <laughs> yeah. I knew eventually this interview would get around to mental illness and suicide. <laughs> had to. It was just waiting. It was just only a matter no, of time. Prevention, yeah. prevention tactics. <laughs> Role playing fantasies. Because I, I didn't really grow up with role-playing games. Like, I kind of found them uh, a later. bit in college and later with uh, uh, grown people. Uh, did you guys play them as kids much? I, I, you're saying aberrant and then maybe I others. played... The high school was largely aberrant, Magic the Gathering, Ooh. and watching my friends play Vampire the Masquerade, uh, which is a LARP, which is a live-action oh. role-playing game. So in a LARP... You dress up, your characters like dress up, yeah. and yeah. it's similar. We would play it as a, you, at a you college. You keep the hot topic in Buffalo, New York, in business. That's right. <laughs> that was the idea. That's what that you was put the them big... in the black for that year. It was right. all, they were all connected. The wolf, you know, White Wolf, the creator of the Vampire at the Masquerade, Hot Topic, yeah. the government. It was all a yeah, triangular all conspiracy. Thing, yeah. The three I, branches of government. The three right? branches yeah, of government. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Our hot topic of the government. <laughs> the government. <laughs> Vampire the Man. So I would watch my friends play it because even I was like a little bit like, I'm not sure this is. Right? It's I'm not weird? sure I, I want to be playing this That's game. What, my brother had one called Stratomatic Baseball. Great. And this was, this is, get ready for this. This was role playing with sports. I oh, love that. You were not only not playing sports, but you knew enough statistics about baseball players that you would just roll to see how they would do yeah this and this game is crazy old like i guess it would go back yeah. to like the 60s and these my, my brother was just this savant so he just memorized like phone books worth of like statistics yeah i, I played a thing like that in high school actually randomly. okay well then you i didn't did i didn't think of it as role playing because it RPG, wasn't very man. narrative but like i had a fernando tatis and that was yeah. my powerful <laughs> but character but if you made <laughs> decisions as that person and you left it up to fate and you did it with people i consider that role playing game. yeah like that was a close, so. co- and, a close that was the one that i watched yeah. and i was like i'm not doing this no, and then oh, we yeah. got the star wars one and then the marvel heroes one it's like yeah this, that these was are awesome yeah these yeah. are the worlds that i want to to explore these yeah. are the, the fantasies i want to live out yeah. a ton of different role playing games and it's good <laughs> that's good that there are more jo- i mean I, I was surprised by that because that that was a reaction that a lot of people had like doing a lot of interviews for the game during the kickstarter is like uh, people, you, they'd send us the questions, you know, for an online interview, and the first question would just be like, why? Question yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> why this? And I think the question really is, why not? It's in a, I mean, in games where you're just trying to pretend to be cool and crazy things, why not come up with more cool and crazy things to do, you right. know? For some yeah. people, all they want to do is role play as... A wizard, and that's cool. Like, right. like God love them, you know, <laughs> they're great. But for me, I like a variety of experiences in games, and I think a lot of other people do too. And certainly a lot of people responded to the idea of camp. I mean, I, I think a lot of people were interested in Wet Hot American Summer as a film, but I think also summer camp is this kind of 
crazy adventure that we do as kids. You know, it's often the first time away from home. Yeah. You know, yeah. you are making your way in a strange and weird new environment. Yeah. You're doing all these like crazy outdoor activities. Back then, they didn't have the shorts that would like hide your erection. Yeah. Like, so that was a one, constantly like, battling your own erection. They didn't have like pleated shorts yet. <laughs> like, the pleats didn't show up until like 1989. It's or the 90. silk, the Just silk the, short shorts. Those old ones. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> leave nothing to the imagination. No, yeah. <laughs> it was finding a lot of reasons to hide behind. <laughs> I feel like there's a couple gateways for kids to get into comedy. Like there's a few different ways that kids frequently will. And mine was a lot of like cult comedies and just yeah. the shows that I liked a lot or, or things we rented that I was like, oh, that's the thing. I think for some other kids it was like Camp Skit Night. And then some other kids it was like role-playing games. It was like, oh, doing this DMing thing made me want to be a writer is yeah. like some people's yeah, yeah, origin. Exactly. I don't know. And I feel I like he- it's all dovetailing. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that Adventure Time is created largely through role-playing that they have their story, their scripting processes. There are a lot of ways that people get into comedy. I I think now also uh, the internet, you know, making YouTube videos and things is just a way that people get into comedy. But for for me, I think for you too, like definitely was a a student of comedy. Oh, yeah. 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 So so for me, it was the classic like – you know, I'm watching The Muppet Show, I'm watching Monty Python, Python. I'm, watching I'm watching Kids Python, in the yeah. Hall. Basically, all the 90s shows, like the, the 90s sketch comedy shows were huge and yeah. important. And the Carvey Kids in, in Myers years. Yeah, know, of like, SNL. Yeah. Oh, yeah, huge, yeah. And, you know, and The State, Kids in the Hall, Mr. Show, Upright Citizens Brigade, and then a lot of the weird ones, you know. Exit 57, Limbo Land. I watched like every like 90s weird sketch comedy show. Comedy Central was my best friend in, yes. in high school. Yes. And so so from the state, I think a lot of us, that was... My first experience with Wet Hot American Summer was in New York, visiting my sister during college. And she told me like, oh, hey, like there's this movie out by the people from the state. And I was super familiar and super excited because I loved the state. Right. And I was like, they made a movie? That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Is it huge? Like, is it a big budget? <laughs> right. Like, it must be because in my mind, the state is so so successful in yes, enterprise. Yes, show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's another weird thing about comedy, though, right? It's like, these things are, like, so huge to us and to, like, but it's relatively like a small group of people. Yeah. You know, if folks want to get Wet Hot, which uh, yes. which I hope they do. Yes. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can pre-order it now. You can also, for a limited time, uh, you can go to wethot.backerkit.com. And uh, we have a site set up where you can uh, still get a lot of the uh, you can still get a lot of the pledge rewards from the Kickstarter campaign. So if you want signed book or you want you know, there's different perks, and for a limited time you can still, still get, get the some dick of those. Cream? Uh, you can't still get the dick cream. No, the dick cream stick is a limited. The, the stick team is the stick team is off the table. Uh, that was one stick of our ball. that was that was one of the more popular rewards. Um, was that we were actually we we actually are are giving people real Listen, bottles of dick cream. If you find the Easter egg, I'll either send you a can of vegetables or a can of dick cream. Oh, all right. I put an Easter egg to another uh, camp movie in the book. And yeah. if you can find that, if anyone can find that, Ooh. and tell either of us on Twitter, then I will, uh, what am I, I'll send you 
Uh, something sweet. Yeah. I will send you the can of vegetables. How send about you a that? can of vegetables. Send you a handmade can of vegetables. If you can, can find it, and this uh, only goes to the first five people. <laughs> cool. If you find the Easter egg in there, and <laughs> the publisher will hold me to it. If you're one of the first <laughs> five people to do it, to scour it, then we'll make it happen. Yes. It's dropping in November. Okay. Yeah. So, so we know be, it's in November. It's becoming this November. Uh, it should be in. Uh, it should be in retail still environments yep. uh, for people to purchase. And it's it's uh, got a forward by David Wayne that he wrote that's really incredible. It was so cool. As well as interviews with Joe Truglio, yep. Margaret Moreau, and Mike Liam Black. We did game tip interviews. So we interviewed the actors about how to best play their characters. So if you're playing as Katie or uh, if you're playing as Neil or McKinley, like you have an extra sort of insight into how the actors thought about those characters. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> or as that can of veg. Or as the can of vegetables. Yeah, yeah. To be the can of vegetables, you just have to be a really cool guy. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Or be H. John person. Benjamin, like one of yeah. those two. <laughs> one of, one the of two. those two things. <laughs> yeah, his voice was a can of vegetables in the movie. Find it, kids. Find it. Uh, yeah. Find it. Watch the movie. <laughs> watch the movie. It's a great movie. And, uh, and then watch the corresponding Netflix series and then play our role-playing game. <laughs> we call that the Fourfecta. Folks, that's the episode for this week. Yeah, my thanks to all of our guests, Spencer Crittenden, Elizabeth DeClear, Jeffrey Golden, Lee Keeler, our own Michael Swaim, and you. I don't know if we convinced you to bust out some weird big dice, you know, and get to questing. I just hope it's cool to know how many different ways people are finding something uniquely awesome in pen and paper fantasy realms. With that, let's dive right into footnotes. You'll find fresh and awesome RPG stuff from all of our guests in the description of this episode. I hope you'll follow Spencer Crittenden on Twitter. He is at The Sixler, and he's your best source for updates on Harmon Quest Season 2. Since we taped with Elizabeth DeClear, she put out a short documentary with Vice about those prisoners and their D&D games. It puts faces on the story, and that's great because it's one of my favorite stories just ever. Like, full stop. It's great. We've also got links to Jeffrey and Lee's works of comical role-playing, discover how you can go questing through the cabins of Camp Firewood and or the wilds of the Cockblock Forest. We're also linking off to tickets to our next live episode of the Cracked Podcast. On Saturday, August 12th at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles, we're talking about what's the best video game universe to live in. I'm joined by Cracked's own Michael Swaim. Hey, from this episode... Also, Cracked's Adam Ganser and comedians Mike Drucker, Monica Scott, and Brody Reed. If you want to roleplay as an audience member, tickets are seven bucks, they're going fast, and we'd love to see you. Then the very next month in September, we're bringing this show to New York City. We're performing a live Cracked podcast with two dozen of our other favorite podcasts at the Now Hear This Festival, September 8th through 10th. You can see all of them with a single festival pass, kind of like... Coachella. Yeah, that's how they say it. I learned. Anyway, get your festival pass at nowhearthisfest.com. And we've also got a limited use promo code for you. There's a cap on how many people can use it, so I hope it's not gone yet. But promo code CRACKED gets you 20 bucks off that festival pass. You know, just CRACKED, like our name. And if you hurry up and get that before people wear it out, you get a deal on what's probably going to be the best podcasting festival and experience of the year. Again, that promo code is cracked, and that website is nowhearthisfest.com. 
Also, I took a look at the calendar the other day, and we are about to enter the month of August. That means our new podcast, Cracked Movie Club, will feature a different director, because they do a new director every month, and they premiered in July with the movies of Steven Spielberg. So in August, they're going to tackle Christopher Nolan, starting with the movie The Prestige, the ultimate battle of magicians who are also actors in superhero movies who are also maybe clones. I I love that movie. It's great. If you love this episode of the Cracked Podcast, that's great. If you hated it, let us know about it on social media. That's right. Social media, the world's only dungeon that's full of trolls and robots. Who's writing this quest? Am I right? Yeah, waka waka waka. Anyway, today's episode was engineered by Chris Souza and Brett Rader, also co-produced by Brett Rader. Find Brett on Twitter at Brett, R-A-D-E-R, and find me on Twitter under the name at Alex Schmitty. That's Alex Schmidt with a Y. And I'm also on the wider internet at alexschmitty.com. And I'm looking forward to being back next week with more Cracked Podcast. Yeah, next week. How about that? Talk to you then. You guys, Earwolf has a brand new show for you. It's an improvised musical show. And I find that if you want to see that kind of thing, you usually have to be at specific comedy theaters in New York or Los Angeles to catch it. Now it's a podcast that you can put in your ears wherever you want. Jessica McKenna and Zach Reno are two of the funniest people out there. And they're also two of the most musical. And together they've made Off Book. It's an improvised musical podcast. Each episode, they're joined by a hilarious improviser like Paul F. Tompkins or Mary Holland or another of your Earwolf favorites or people who are about to be your favorites. And along with a live piano, they make a new musical on the spot. You might know Jessica from her characters on Comedy Bang Bang or her show Party Over Here on Fox. And you might have heard Zach on a recent improv for humans. Now hear them on Off Book. Subscribe to it from Earwolf in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This is Jess McKenna. And I'm Zach Reno. And we're the host of a new podcast right here at Earwolf called Off Book, Book, the improvised improvised musical podcast. Podcast. It's a podcast, but it's also an improvised musical where we get a guest and we talk to them and then Scott Passarell starts playing and then we black out for a second when we come to, we've created a brand new musical. Yeah. People are saying it's better than the Beatles. You can say that too. If you listen uh, to our first episode with Paul F. Tompkins or our second episode with Mary Holland, we got some great guests lined up. So guys, rate, review, and you got to subscribe on that Apple podcast, baby. Or wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd like it so much. Just so much. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.